Hello, thank you for joining us for this message today. We're excited to be here with you as we continue to go through the book of John and also for you to stay connected with all the things that are going on here at Christ Community. I invite you to go visit our website and check out the events and all the things that are going on and the different ways that you can get connected. Uh, and finally, make sure to subscribe to this channel so that you can get the notifications and stay connected with the messages each week. Enjoy the sermon. Welcome to all of you. Hello, Christ community. So glad you are here. Um, I'm Pastor Allen, I'm lead pastor and also part of our teaching team. Um, so we are in the midst of a, a teaching series where we're walking through the entire book of John, which is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. I was talking with someone, a friend of mine recently, um, and I'm, he's known the Lord for years. And this person said to me, I don't really know how to put this into words but I am finding my heart growing more and more in love with Jesus. And part of that, he said, has been just our going through the book of John. And that was such an encouragement to hear. I mean, that is my heart in this series. And that's John's heart in writing this book, that people would experience Jesus in a, in a deeper way, to, to see him and to know him and to hear him, to hear from him. All right, well, today we're entering into a really powerful section of John's gospel that takes that desire to experience Jesus, takes it to a whole new level. So in John chapters 12, uh, excuse me, chapter 14 to 16, we have one of the Bible's longest continuous sections of Jesus speaking. It's often referred to as the, as the farewell discourse because it takes place on the night before Jesus is crucified. So this is just, this is just, his final hours with his disciples before his death. And so we know, we know that what Jesus is saying here is extremely important. When you're on your deathbed, you're not talking about the weather, okay? You're talking to your loved ones about the things that really matter, the things that you want them to remember and hold on to, the resources that you want them to embrace when you're gone. See, that's what's happening in John chapters 14 to 16. Jesus is talking about some incredibly powerful things that he wants his disciples to remember and embrace once he is gone. But before he gets into all of that, he starts with his disciples' hearts. So he has just told them in John chapter 13, previous chapter, that he's going to be leaving them, which has got to be horribly difficult to hear for, for these disciples who have, have given everything to follow him. They left jobs, right? Three years earlier, they left jobs and families to follow this rabbi, to follow Jesus. And now he's telling them that he's leaving can you imagine what they are feeling? The grief, the confusion, the anxiety about the future. What does all this mean? What will life look like without Jesus there? Now, while their circumstances are unique to them, the emotions that they are experiencing in that moment are universal, right? <laughs> and they're incredibly relevant to us today. I mean, how many of us? are experiencing, right now, we are experiencing grief. We're experiencing confusion. We're experiencing anxiety. 
depression, whatever, as a result of, of, of some situation we find ourselves in, or just looking at the state of the world. I mean, the amount of anger and tension in our world is off the charts. The conflicts between nations, and, and then we have the, the economy and rising costs and, and all of that. I mean, there's this pervasive feeling of unsettledness and loss and uncertainty. So in a very real sense, we, right here, we can place ourselves in this passage and let Jesus speak to our hearts as he is speaking to the hearts of his disciples. Okay, so what does Jesus want to say to us in the midst of all of this? Let's see. John 14, verse one. one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, this word he uses for troubled, it, 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 it's a word that literally means to stir up, right? To stir up some liquid, to agitate something. But it was also used to describe the experience of having negative emotions that get stirred up in our minds and our hearts. So Jesus is speaking here to anyone whose heart is being stirred up, whose heart is being troubled or stressed or anxious or confused or discouraged or, or sad. So he's speaking to us. And look again at what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now this, this verb here is in the passive form, which is why it gets translated, don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, don't allow your heart to get stuck in this place. I want you to be proactive in these, in these circumstances. I want you to be proactive in these situations when you experience your heart being, being troubled. Life happens, right? <laughs> Life happens, and we're going to experience emotions of anxiousness or, or worry or confusion or discouragement or whatever. We're going to experience that. We're, we're going to experience circumstances that cause internal agitation. And maybe some of us are in that right now. But Jesus is saying, I don't want you to stay in that place. See, there, there's another response that I'm inviting you into whenever your heart feels troubled. Okay, so what is that response? Jesus tells us, verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, the antidote to our anxiousness, the antidote to our, our agitation is faith, faith. Jesus is saying, look, the way, the way to not allow our hearts to stay in this place of agitation is through our faith. It's through our belief in him. Now, the, the, and, and belief is a huge theme in the book of John. We've seen it over and over again. The verb tense used here speaks not of a one-time belief, but a life of belief, a living by faith. So Jesus is inviting us, he's commanding us to respond to trouble and agitation in our hearts with continual faith in him. Okay, so what exactly does that faith look like? How do we, how do we stir up that faith and live in that kind of faith in the midst of all the things that are going on in our lives and our world right now? Well, Jesus tells us <clears throat> in the rest of these six verses, Jesus gives us two specific ways to strengthen and add vibrancy to our faith, no matter what we're going through. All right, so look at the next verse. <clears throat> verse two, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
Okay, so Jesus is addressing a specific issue going on in the hearts of the disciples, and, and that is a fear for their future. They're worried about the future. What's going to happen to them when Jesus is gone? And so Jesus takes this opportunity to speak to them about where he is going after his death. He's going to his father's house. And that reality impacts their future as well. He says, my father's house has many rooms. Now, this word translated rooms, it's a form of the word abide, like abode. But we're going to look at this in John 15. But it's a form of that same word, abide. And so the emphasis here in using this word, the emphasis here is not on the physical location. Oh, I hope my room has Wi-Fi and a remote control. Uh, You know, that's not what he's talking about. The emphasis in using this word, the emphasis is on relationship. Whose house is this? Jesus says, this is my father's house. This is my father's dwelling. I love that picture. I love that picture. Just being honest, personally, sometimes the idea of spending eternity in heaven makes me feel uncomfortable. Like living forever? What will that be like? And, you know, when when I think about it too much, I start to feel a little panicky or whatever. But that may be just me. But one thing that has really helped me from this passage is to think about how Jesus describes this experience, how he describes it right here. This is Jesus telling us this. We're going to the Father's house. Now, knowing the heart of the Father, I envision just a place filled with Comfy couches, you know, and love sack beanbag things or whatever, and fireplaces, you know, a place filled with joy and love and lots of laughter and dancing and life and banquets. You know, I think what Jesus is saying here is it's going to feel like home. It's going to feel like home, the home that we've always longed for. It's going to feel like that ideal, perfect Christmas we have in our minds or the Hallmark, you know, Christmas thing, uh, whatever. Uh, but it's that idea that we have in our mind. You know, it never really happens, but we always envision it, right? Everyone being together and laughing and eating and our home filled with joy and warmth. I mean, talking about heaven in terms of streets of gold, that's it's biblical. It's, it's certainly okay. But for me personally, the picture, the picture Jesus paints here feels way more inviting. And the best part, of all of that is that Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may, you may all, you also may be where I am. See, this is an amazing promise Jesus is making. He is coming back so that we can experience this joyful reality of being united with him, living with him in his father's house. Okay, so, so what does this have to do with faith? What is the, all this talk here, what does this have to do with our faith in the midst of difficulties and hardships and all that? Well, a lot, actually. Look, our faith in Jesus is strengthened and stirred when we let our hearts long for him, right? When we let, let your heart long for Jesus in the midst of all the things you're experiencing. That's what Jesus is saying here. There is is a direct connection between our faith and our longing for Jesus. And I think we often forget the power of longing when it comes to our faith. There is this fascinating passage in Hebrews chapter 11 where the author of Hebrews is describing example after example of people who are walking by faith, who are living by faith. 
Look at what the author says in verse 13. Check this out. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. You hear that? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things, being foreigners and strangers, people who say stuff like that, show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, in other words, where they were living then, they, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, because they were longing for that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's amazing, right? When someone is a foreigner, when someone is a stranger in a land, what do they long for? Home. Home. When I've traveled to places, various places around the world, I enjoy those new experiences, but I still long for home. So if we consider ourselves foreigners and strangers, which the text implies that we should, we consider ourselves foreigners and strangers in this land, what are we going to long for? Home, our ultimate home, our father's house. See, these people in Hebrews 11 are commended for their faith, not because they experienced all of God's promises being fulfilled in this life. They didn't. They didn't experience all of God's promises. That's what it says. They didn't experience that in this life. They are commended for their faith because of their longing. They're longing to be with Jesus in heaven. See, one of the most powerful ways to make sure we don't get stuck in these places of worry and despair and stress and discouragement and fear, one of the ways to make sure we don't get stuck there is to let those emotions point us to a deeper longing for Jesus. We're not dismissing the emotions, but we're letting them remind us this is not our home and we long for our Father's house. So we're letting those emotions stir in us a longing for Jesus, a longing to be with him in his Father's house one day. But the disciples really don't really understand what Jesus is talking about. Look at the next verse. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Uh, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about his father's house and all that stuff. They don't understand it. And, 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 and Jesus is like, yeah, you know the way. And Thomas is like, I, I don't think we do. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know what you're talking about? And, and, and I, love, I love Jesus' response to Thomas's question. He didn't give him any more details about heaven, per se. What, what he does is remind Thomas of where his focus needs to be. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way. <laughs> In other words, look, Thomas, don't get hung up on all these details about location and all of that stuff, Here, here's what I want you to know. I am the way. In other words, stay focused on me. Set your heart on me. Even after I'm gone, I want you to keep your heart focused on me. Keep stoking the fire of your longing for me. That's what I want you to do as you're waiting for my return. I want you to long for me. 
A friend of mine lost his, his wife to brain cancer about a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago. A horrible disease, um, glioblastoma, a brain thing. It was just awful. Thrusting them into like an excruciating, I think at least a two-year-long battle with chemo and all of that and only to have to say goodbye to his wife of 30 plus years. This amazing woman, amazing woman. And as he and I have kept in touch and we meet periodically for lunch, I'll often just ask him, how are you doing? How, how, how is, you know, how is your grief journey? And, and one of the things that he frequently says to me is, I can't wait for heaven. I can't wait to see Jesus. And I can't wait to see my bride. See, grief is not something to be fixed in this life. It is not. It is not something to be fixed, but it is something that can stir in us a longing for a reality in which everything is whole and death is a distant memory. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, let me rephrase it. Jesus is not saying to his disciples, don't feel sad. Don't grieve. You know, none of that stuff. Death is not a big deal. He's not minimizing anything. He's not. He's not saying, don't feel sad. It's bad. Oh, that's not spiritual to feel sad. He's not saying that. No, what he's saying is, let your experience of loss, let your sadness, let your confusion point your heart toward a future hope that I'm giving you. A promise that I am making. A day, a day when we will once again be together in my father's house. And it's going to be amazing. When Raylene and I um, got engaged, I immediately had to go back to Chicago. We were living in Wichita. Um, our families were there and all that. And she had just graduated from school and just got a job in, in Wichita, and I was there for an internship. So we got engaged within 10 weeks. Wow, I know, crazy. But anyway, then I had to go back to Chicago for seminary for several months. And so we had this long-distance engagement. And was that what either one of us wanted? No. Was it challenging? Absolutely. Was it frustrating and difficult at times? Yes. But we knew there was a day coming when all of that would be behind us, June 24th, 1989. It was our longing for that day of promise when we would enter into a lifelong relational covenant that kept us encouraged and strengthened in the midst of, of being separated by a thousand miles. You ever wonder why older people talk about and think about and read about heaven um, more than younger people? Um, it's not, I don't think it's just the statistical reality uh, that those people are closer to that experience. I think, I think it's because these older people have experienced more of the difficulties and loss and troubles of life, and their longing for Jesus is greater than it was earlier in their lives. A couple months ago when KJ was preaching, <clears throat> I, I went downstairs for our traditions service. Shout out to the traditions folks watching this video. I, I went downstairs for our tradition service, and I worshiped with them. And at one point, I was asked just to stand up and share a few words since I was there or whatever. And as I stood before them, <clears throat> stood before that room of like 80 people, I was standing, I was overcome with emotion as I thought about the faith in that room. All the hardships, 
the loss, the grief that these people had experienced over the course of their lives, many of them widowed, battling physical challenges, and yet there they were. There they were, still walking with Jesus, still singing about his grace and singing about his love, still longing to be with him in heaven. And I was so inspired by their faith. I was so inspired. And I was reminded afresh of what Jesus is saying to us here in the midst of loss, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of difficulties. Jesus is saying to us, let your heart long for me. He's not promising this world is going to be all hoo-hoo because it's not, okay? He's saying it's not about that. It's let your heart long for me. Let those things that you're experiencing, those excruciatingly difficult things you're experiencing as parents and spouses, let all of that, let those, let those things stir in you a greater longing to be united with Jesus in his Father's house. See, that longing, that longing is a powerful expression of faith. It is a powerful expression of faith. It, it can help fuel our faith in the midst of life's difficulties. It's so important and so powerful. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. I just remember it every once in a while and just look back on it. G.K. Chesterton, here's what he said. He said, the modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place and I still felt depressed even in acquiescence. But when I heard that I was in the wrong place, my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. The difficulties, the hardships, the troubles of this life are a reminder that this is not our home. <laughs> this is not our home. Our home is in the presence of Jesus. And we eagerly await that day when we will be united with him. Okay, so one way that we can grow our faith in the midst of difficulties is by refocusing our hearts on a longing for that day when we will be with Jesus in heaven. He promises right here, he promises. There's another thing. There's a, but there's another thing here, a second thing that Jesus mentions in this passage that can help us grow our faith in the midst of our hearts being troubled. Look again at verse 6, where Jesus introduces a second crucial aspect of our faith in the midst of difficulty. So Jesus answered Thomas, I am the way and the truth. I am the way and the truth. See, faith, this is really important, faith in and of itself is not necessarily helpful. It's not. I may have faith that the Broncos will win the Super Bowl this year, and I can wear orange and blue every day. But the question is, is that faith rooted in reality? Is it rooted in actual evidence? No, a collective no, right? See, look, the presence of faith in and of itself is not necessarily helpful. The impact of faith in our lives is totally dependent upon the object of our faith. When Jesus says to these troubled followers, believe in me, I am the way and the truth, he is asserting a second way to grow our faith in, in times of difficulty, and that is by building our lives on his truth. He's saying to us, I want you to build your life 
on my truth. Jesus is claiming that he himself embodies truth, that he is the truth, that his words and teaching are true. So living by faith means intentionally building our lives on what he says is true, because he says, I am the truth. Now look, this claim of Jesus, obviously it flies directly in the face of our culture which is growing increasingly skeptical of this concept of this idea of objective truth, of something being true no matter what. See, our culture fully embraces this idea, wholly embraces this idea that truth is relative. It's relative. Every person determines their own truth in terms of sexuality, in terms of how we treat other people, in terms of our own morality or culture or whatever. Truth is something each of us creates and we just determine what is true for ourselves. And at one level, that sounds appealing, right? It sounds as freeing. You get to determine what is true for you. Wow, how awesome, right? It just sounds freeing and, and appealing and all of that. But, but I'm just, a couple things I wonder about. What happens, what happens when one person's definition of what is true contradicts another person's view of truth? Well, what if someone believes it's okay to demean women, or it's okay to abuse children, or it's okay to have slaves? See, without an objective truth, those things must be allowed, right? Right? Whose truth wins, right? But, but look, that, I mean, that's one concern. That's a little more philosophical. But, but there's, another, there's another more visceral challenge, I think, with this idea of truth being relative and you determine your own truth. All. Here, here, here's another, I think, visceral challenge. What do we do when the personal truths that we've embraced for ourselves don't work out the way we thought? When for, we, for instance, pursue the sexual narrative of our culture, do whatever feels good with whomever and whenever. And we wake up, we wake up feeling used or empty or more confused than ever. But where do we turn then? See, well, what do we do when the truth we've embraced for ourselves causes our lives to fall apart? See, to some people in our society, Jesus claimed to be the truth. That is offensive. To many people in our society, that is offensive. But to me, it is a lifeline. It is an anchor. It is a solid rock that I can build my life upon when the world is falling apart. And this is especially true when we're facing troubles or hardship or fear or grief. See, in those seasons, in those experiences, we are very vulnerable to listening to lies. We're very vulnerable to embracing things that are not true. So for instance, in our hurt, when we're hurt, we can easily embrace the lie that hating someone else is not a big deal. It's okay to hate someone and that we really don't need to forgive. Um, in the midst of our fear, we can easily start embracing the lie that our politics is the answer. Ah, that's what we need. Politics is the answer to our fear. Or that placing our security or our comfort in our money, that's what we should trust in when we're afraid. Or in our experience of sadness and loss, we can easily start to believe the lie that God doesn't really care about us and that he's not that loving See, what Jesus is saying to us in the midst of all of that is, I am the truth. 
I am the truth. Look to me. Lean into me. Follow me. Obey me. Trust me. Build your life on my teaching. Listen to the voice of my spirit. Don't let the world around you, you know, shape you or deceive you or, or seduce you into looking to it for what is true. Don't let the world around you define you and give you your identity. Let Jesus give you your identity. Let Jesus tell you who you really are and live out of that place. Live out of that truth. This is how our faith gets strengthened in the midst of pain and difficulty and all of that. It's by us doubling down on our commitment to Jesus as the truth. This is how our faith gets strengthened in a world that's just kind of out of control. It's by doubling down on our commitment to Jesus being the truth. When, when, when your heart is troubled, whose voice are you listening to? Whose counsel are you learning, leaning into? Are we listening to the voices of political pundits stirring up more anger and fear in us? Are we listening to the voices of people whose worldview is completely different than Jesus? Are we listening to the whispers of the enemy, the whispers of condemnation or judgments against other people or the whispers of despair or hopelessness? Or are we listening to the voice of Jesus who is truth? I've been reading this amazing book um, recently called Living Fearless by uh, Jamie Winship. And in it, he describes how so often we are letting the world speak to us about who we are rather than letting Jesus speak to us. And so he talks about how as a police officer and then as a security expert in the Middle East, he learned how to stop in the midst of challenging situations and to ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me here? What do you want to speak to me about this situation? I heard him on a podcast talk about various unsolvable crimes that he ended up solving as a, as a police detective by simply asking Jesus, what would you do here? And I've just been trying to build this question into my life, especially in the midst of difficulty. Here's the question, Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me about this? Is there anything you want to say to me about this hurt? that I experience, or about this person that I'm angry at, or about this situation, or about this relationship, or about this agitation that I'm feeling in my heart. And then we ask the question, and then we just let Jesus speak. We just listen and let him speak to our hearts. Sometimes he just reminds me of his love, of my identity in him, but that's often exactly what I need in that moment. I mean, this is an incredibly powerful way to live and, and an intentional way to experience Jesus as truth. It is by frequently stopping to ask Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me about this? Is there anything you want to say to me about this? And then we listen. Look, friends, in the day in which we live, this day in which we live where we are bombarded, we are bombarded with opinions and information about any and every topic. Rather than allowing ourselves to be shaped by the world around us, and by the lies of our enemy who wants to destroy us, we have a lifeline. We, we, we have an anchor. We have the one who is truth and who calls us to build our lives on his truth. So Jesus urges us in the midst of difficulty to maintain and strengthen our faith through longing and through truth. Okay, now here's what is so powerful about this. When we focus on those two things, when we allow our longing to be stirred and when we build our lives and double down, just building our lives on Jesus as truth, we experience his life. 
That's what he says, verse six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is uniquely offering us life in the midst of our troubles and difficulties. He is our life. And it is so easy to lose sight of that. I mean, let's be real. Life is hard, right? Life is hard. We live in a world where pain and heartache and difficulty are real. And it is easy to start feeling the life and the joy and the peace just start getting sucked out of us. Right? It's just easy to experience these things just draining out of us. Because life, a lot of times, life doesn't feel very life-giving. It feels overwhelming, feels discouraging. But, but Jesus, look, he's speaking to us in that place. He is speaking to us in that place. The question Jesus asks us is, what are you going to focus on in the midst of this? Whatever you're going through, what are you going to focus on? This is what he's saying to his disciples, to us as well. What are you going to focus on in the midst of this? Are we going to let our hearts be troubled, allowing ourselves to get stuck in this vortex of negativity and despair, or are we going to cultivate our faith in Jesus, allowing our hearts to be stirred with a deeper longing for him and choosing to listen to his voice of truth rather than the voices of chaos all around us. That's the choice we have, friends. Are we going to be people whose faith is being fueled by longing and truth? Or are we going to be a people of passivity, allowing our hearts to lose hope? Jesus is our hope. Not this world, not the circumstances we find ourselves in. Jesus is our hope. He urges us to trust him, to long for him, to believe that he truly is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Let's, let's pray. So Jesus is saying to you and to me, don't let your hearts be troubled. So where are you experiencing trouble? Where are you experiencing agitation in your inner being? Where are you experiencing grief? I want you to just to tune in to that part of you for a moment. And in light of that, that you carry and are experiencing, I want you just to let that emotion stir in you a longing for home, a longing for your father's house. Jesus, thank you for your promise. And thank you for this picture of your father's house. And we acknowledge that's our home. This world is not our home. That is our home. And I pray for our longing to be stirred. For those that are walking through difficulty, would you stir that longing for you? And Jesus, I also thank you that you are truth. So let me just encourage us to stop and 
just ask, think for a moment, where, where are you needing, this is for each one of us here, those watching, where are you needing to hear Jesus' truth in the midst of some situation, in the midst of some difficulty? Think about a specific situation that is troubling you. And let's just take a moment right now, let's just take a moment and ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me about this? Just ask him and then listen to what he says. God, would you help us? Jesus, would you help us pay attention to the things that you whisper, you are whispering to our hearts? These reminders of our identity, who we are in you, we want you to tell us that. We want to build our identity on what you say about us, not what the world says about us. So God, would you, Jesus, would you continue to speak truth and give us a, just a reminder to stop in the midst of whatever we're experiencing and to ask you, Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me in the midst of this situation? God, we, we want to live in you and depend upon you and trust you and live by faith. So set us free to do that. Set us free to do that. God, stir in us a longing for you. We welcome you here, God, in this response of, of worship. And let me just mention, we're gonna, the team's gonna lead us in, in some worship, and I'm gonna come back up in a bit and lead us in the Lord's Supper, so you don't need to worry about that right now. That's just gonna be a part of our worship. So whether you're standing, sitting, kneeling, Jesus, we are here for you. God, we love you. Pour out your spirit here. <laughs> Set us free to worship you with all of our being, God. So if there are things that happened during the sermon that inspired you or or, or cause something inside to shimmer a bit that that kind of like brought up this idea of it, it would be great to talk to someone. All you need to do is go on to our app. You can go on our site. There's a bu button that you're able to, to click. And there is someone behind that. The odds are that somebody is going to be us. Um, so, so go on there. Say hi. We're happy to talk. We're happy to pray. We're happy to be present and to hear the things that are going on.